Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Our scripture reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe this. Sorry, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. This is God's word. Good morning, church. You ever had that experience where you're driving down the road and uh, all of a sudden you arrive at your destination and you have no recollection of how you got there? Well, um, people say that that's a part of our subconscious brain taking over and just doing things that we normally do on a regular basis. So, one of the ways that they say to interrupt the uh, way that the uh, unconscious mind just sort of goes and, and we bring ourselves awake is actually deep breathing. So for some of you where church is a routine or you've gotten used to my voice or listening to me or whatever, or even if you're new, if you're usually used to turning, tuning out at this point in the service, here's what I want you to do. Just take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. You are awake. You have interrupted the normal patterns, uh, which is really important because we're preaching on, on money. And um, there's, as I said to you last week when we started this series, there's all kinds of reasons why you would head for the door uh, at this point in the service if you find out how oh, we're talking about money. And maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, and it's like, oh, of course, the church is talking about money. Um, you need to know a couple of things. Um, I'm not preaching, I don't preach on money to get our church to give. Uh, I think I've been on staff here for seven years, about 52 weeks of services a year. There's about 350 sermons. I think we've done eight on money. So that's like 2%. So, and our church gives so generously. I have never felt, not only do I not worry about it because God looks after us, but secondly, we have a super generous church and a congregation that not only gives to our church to allow me to be on staff and other people to be on staff, to rent this theater, to lease our office, to do ministries in the, in the community, but also to give um, just, an, again, $40,000, another year of giving to Guinea. I think we're over $250,000 or something like that in the last few years. So this church is so generous. So that's not why we're preaching on money. Jesus preached way more on money than I ever have. So one day I have to stand in front of him, and he's going to give me, I have to gonna go through what I preached on and what was I tracking with him. So I'm just trying to keep up. Um, <laughs> the reasons you might want to go, though, I said last week is um, you might think, well, money, that's not a very exciting topic. 
like forgiveness, that was gut-wrenching. We cried, we laughed, we snotted it out, we talked. Like that was, you know, but money, eh, you know, I'm okay with that. I don't really need to talk about that or I'm not okay. I don't want to think about it. That's why I came here this morning just to escape that. Um, but the point I made to you last week is that there's always, you're always being taught about money. Every advertisement, everybody is teaching you about money all the time, about how you're richer than you think, about how if you've been in, a, in an accident that you could actually have money that you could get, that you have enough money to afford this, or if you pay this, you could get this, or if you get this credit card. But do you realize that every single person who is talking to you about money is trying to get it from you? And I said, imagine walking out your door and all they're trying to do is grab for your wallet while you're walking out your door and in your car, all the people filled in your car and in your office trying to reach for your back pocket. It's a tiring existence, trying to slap those hands away. Everyone teaching you about money in the world around you and generally in the amount of advertisements, they say it's thousands and thousands of advertising messages that we face just consciously and unconsciously every day, is trying to get your money. And so you may think, oh, I don't want to hear about it at church. I don't want to hear about it from Scripture. I don't want to hear about it from Jesus. But the great thing about Jesus teaching us from his word, and there are things that Jesus said when he was on earth about it, and then, of course, Jesus is the living word whose voice is all the way through all of Scripture. He's the one person talking to us about money, teaching us about money that isn't trying to get it from us. I made the point to you that if God wanted your money, he would just take it. The government does, no problem. If Jesus, if God wanted your money, he would just take it. Jesus actually doesn't need your money from you, but he wants something for you about it. The other point that I made is that Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money to people who had virtually none of it. They were people who were uh, farmers, that whatever they could grow, because it rained, they ate. If it didn't rain, if they didn't grow, they didn't eat. If they fished and they caught fish, they ate. If they didn't, they didn't. It was hand-to-mouth existence. They didn't have very much comparatively by us at all, and yet he talked to them a lot about money because really it had nothing to do with how much they made. It was about what was going on in their heart, and so therefore we actually need to sit up and take notice because if he talked a lot to people who had nothing, how about those of us in living in North America? We need to actually listen because he wants something for us in it. Now, I don't know about you, but in my home, uh, it's easy to walk into stressful or strange conversations about money. And they start ver in various ways. They start like, do you like my new sweater? My wife's not even here. I can't even. I'm not saying it's just her. I'm just saying. That, that can start a conversation about money, right? Do you like my new sweater? Um, someone got promoted at work today. That can start a conversation about money. Someone got laid off at work today. That can start a conversation about money. The car's leaking oil. That can start a conversation about money. Man, we need a vacation that can start a conversation about money. So many conversations end up, and they say actually that um, marriage counselors say that the two things that couples fight about all the time are sex and money. It's constant conflict. It's one of those things, and you can step into it in a myriad of ways. And there's a sense in which it can create, as I said to you last week, kind of stress, but the stress comes, and I, and I want you to just do this for a second. Just, just clench your fist as hard as you can, right? As hard as you can. Like your whole body, right? You're tense and you're feeling out. Like, that's what happens. Okay, you let go. Don't do that for too long. That's what conversations about money feel like. And they look like sometimes pride, you know? Somebody else got promoted at work today. Or they look like entitlement. I need a vacation. Or they look like stress. <laughs> oh, no, the car's leaking oil. Or worry. I might be getting laid off. 
that all of this kind of talk about money and it comes and seems to affect and infect every part of our lives can make us feel like this no matter how much you have. And there were days when you thought, man, if I could only just get a little bit more, I'd be less tense. And if you think about it, you actually have a lot more than those days and you're still like this. It has nothing to do with how much you make. Money can make us feel like that. And the reason is, when we're like this, it's because we're believing a lie. And the lie is this that it's my money. When we believe that it's my money, we act like this. It belongs to me. It passes through my hands. I got to do something with it. I need to get more of it. I need to deal with this. I wish I had more of it. It's my money. Creates that tension. And God, in his grace and love for us, busts up that myth. And the passage that Steve read for you is actually a myth-busting passage to this particular lie. And what I said to you was, because people are constantly talking to us about money, and the people talking to us about money are trying to get our money, they might be tempted to say things to us or help us believe things that aren't actually true so we can get it. And therefore, there's a lot of ways that we view money that are actually unhealthy or that are actually false. And the scripture, which is the word of truth, actually brings light to this. And the myth we want to bust today is that it's my money. The passage that Steve read for you, is a passage that God, when God was speaking to his people, the children of Israel, after they had come out of slavery in Egypt, and he was kind of establishing his love and his promise and his faithfulness to them to care for them and to establish what their patterns and their ways of thinking and living would be as a people. And he says this to them. You know, when you, when you, he said, remember the Lord your God, the one who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. He says, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, remember, these were just, they were just a couple of months out of being slaves for 400 years. So the idea of prosperity and settling down was far from them. They were still in the desert. They were just, but he was saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to take care of you. But you remember, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, a prosperous future they could barely imagine. When herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He was warning a people that had nothing yet about a lie that we are susceptible to when we prosper financially. That he says, when you prosper, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to take care of you, but when prosperity happens, we are susceptible to a lie that comes into our lives, and the lie is this, this is mine. You may think, well, prosperity, I'm, I'm not really prosperous. That's for other people. That's whatever. Remember, I said to you, he's talking to people who had nothing. And, and the point I made last week is if you have a, a, a household income of $40,000, apparently you we're in the top percent, top 10% of the world. That means out of 10 people in the world, you're number one if you have a household income of $40,000. So we are, however you want to cut it, the prosperous people. And the Lord says to his people, prosperous people are tempted to believe this lie, and the lie is this, that it's mine. And he was warning them. He was saying, you need to remember where I brought you from. How you came here. When you get there, you can't imagine it now, but when you get there, remember how you got there. It wasn't you. It's been me all along. 
said, I am the one that actually makes you prosper. I'm the one that actually gives you the ability to produce wealth. I'm the one that has done all of this in your life. Now, some of you may say, yeah, no, I, I really see that. I see that God has blessed me. But others of you, or maybe, you know, you're, you're a person of faith, you're a Christian, you say, yeah, I know I'm supposed to believe that, but in your heart, you're not sure. And some of you that would say, well, I'm not, I'm not totally sure about this God thing. And no, I, I work hard. I, I've made the most of my opportunities. I, this is mine. Like, I've actually worked for it. God doesn't put food on my table. I put food on my table. But think about it for a moment. Most of what you and I have in life, most of what you and I have in life is because of one thing. Which side of the world you were born on. It's that one thing. More than anything else. And I don't know about you, but I didn't have any say into that. I didn't decide that. You may say, well, you know what, but, but yeah, but that was an opportunity, but I've worked hard. You know what, there are people that have worked harder than you that have been recognized less than you. There are people that work harder than you in the world that get paid less than you. That's just a fact. Even the way that you say, hey, I work harder than that guy or that girl, and she gets more recognized. Yeah, but there's other people like that too. So is it hard work alone that has brought you? If you actually think about it, and I did this, and I went back and thought, all the decisions that I made supposedly in terms of you know, going to school and what I was going to do and all that kind of stuff. So much of that was actually out of my control. There were decisions that I made. You chose sometimes between path A and path B, and you thought path A would be this, and, it, and, it, and, and that would be better, and it didn't turn out to be better. It turned out to be worse, but it actually led to a different path that led you somewhere more prosperous. You didn't make that decision. You didn't know what you were looking at. Life, as one person said, is lived forward, but it's understood backward. None of us have any of the sense of the future. So much of what you and I have we realize, well, actually, I had no control over how this would be. No matter how little I think I have in my hands right now. And God is actually saying to his people, you need to remember this. I'm the one who made this happen. I'm the one who blesses you. Which means ultimately this. That it's not yours, it's his. That if he is the one, as the scriptures say, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he owns everything. He said to the people, I fed you with manna in the desert. In other words, the, the sky opened. We sometimes say, oh, money doesn't grow on trees. It doesn't come out of heaven. For them, when they were in the desert and they had nothing, the sky opened and it fed them. God helped them. He made it rain. He said, say, this isn't just something that I've allowed you to do. It means it's mine. Which means this. Got my little whiteboard out today. Some of you are scared about what's going to happen here. It means this, that when it comes to the stuff that you and I have, that we're not owners, we are stewards. We don't own it, we look after it for him. It's not ours, it's his. And there's a huge difference between being an owner of what we have and being a steward of what he's given to us. If I'm an owner, there's a couple of things. You think about this. If I think about my money like this, and here's, I believe as I was praying for our church, this is one of the mental shifts in perspective that will, hear me, it will change your life. This is not mine. It's his. It's the difference between this and this. See, if I'm an owner, 
Who am I accountable to for what I spend? Me. I'm entitled. I deserve it. I make the money. I decide where it goes. Therefore, I deserve this. I deserve that. I'm entitled to this. If I work hard and I get it, it's mine. And I decide where it goes. So if I'm an owner, I'm only accountable to me. Spending, then, is a right. I have the right to spend what I make because I own it. If I'm an owner, then I might give to God, but what I'm doing is just paying him off so he'll leave me alone. Here's your 5%, here's your 10%, here's your 10 bucks, now leave me alone with the rest that is mine. That's how I view giving. Okay, I know you're somehow involved in the fact that I'm here, so I'm just, you're just sort of this guy that's there that I'll just pay off so you don't take my lunch money, any more of it. <laughs> that that's how I'll view giving. That I'm just sort of out of guilt or I should do something good for people, so I'm just going to give some money away, but the rest is mine. So giving will be this percentage that we just pay off so we can keep the rest because it's ours. We pay off God or we pay off our guilty conscience or we help something because we saw something on TV that made us feel bad, and so, but now we're good. That's how giving will be if I'm, if I'm an owner. And probably this one the most, if I'm an owner, worry will be one of my primary go-to financial strategies. Right? Worry. Why? Because I'm the one that's got to make it rain. If it's mine, if I made it, if I created it, if it all passes through my hands, it's up to me. Therefore, I worry. When I don't have enough, I'm afraid. I think, I got, how can I work harder? How can we work harder? How can we do more? How can we cut back? This is, this is and it's not just about wise fi- uh, you know, financial planning. It's about the fear that creeps into my heart going, where's this going to come from? How are we going to make this work? Because if I'm an owner, it's up to me. If I got me here, I got to get me out of here. But if I'm a steward, everything changes. See, if I'm a steward, every dollar I spend matters to God. Why? Because it's all his. He's actually the one who owns it all. So therefore, every dollar is ac- I'm accountable to him for. He should actually be involved in all of my spending decisions because it's all his. God isn't someone that I pay off with a little bit of charity to get out of the picture and then I'm free to do whatever I want with the rest. If it's all his and I'm looking after it for him, then a good steward spends according to the wishes of the owner. Right? Every dollar matters. Every purchase decision matters. He should be involved in everything. Secondly, Giving is not only obvious, if it's his, it's wise. And the scriptures actually, I'm going to say something you might think, oh, we, we shouldn't think about money that way, but the scriptures actually kind of imply this, so in some cases directly, in other cases indirectly. If an, in, if an investor gives you some of their money to invest on their behalf, and you pay them a dividend, right? Say, here's, some, here's something back from what you've invested. Is that wise? Yes. What's that investor going to do? Give you a little more. Hey, I'm getting a return from this. 
this actually works for me. You pay a dividend, you get more. And people say, oh, God doesn't work like that. There is the principle in Scripture that to those who are faithful, God will be faithful more. Constantly, if you've done well with what I've given you, I will give you more because that's what owners do with wise stewards. It's a principle of life. So giving is not this thing that we do to just kind of, kind of. it's like, it's obvious because it's his, but it's wise because it's a path to being entrusted with more. See, stewards think that way. Owners, in a sense, over time actually have a scarcity mentality. I can't give any of this away because I need it for me. A steward says, well, it's not mine anyway. This seems like a good thing to give, to invest, to build for a future. And the owner says, I like that. Let's do some more of it. Scriptures actually tell us that the eyes of the Lord are going throughout the whole earth to seek out those who are fully devoted to him. In other words, he's looking for people to pour his life and power and strength and, yes, even resources into to do his work in the world, and a faithful steward gets that. And lastly, and maybe the, maybe the most important and maybe the reason that actually God even says any of this to us, if I'm not an owner but a steward, then I will be wise in times of plenty and I'll have peace in times of drought. Why? Because I don't turn on the tap. I don't make it rain. I don't make things grow. I don't make money grow on trees. God is the one who gives. And so if I have a lot, I'll be wise. But think, wow, why do I have so much? Why has the owner given me so much? What does he want me to do with it? I'll be wise. And if I have a little, I'll think, okay, he has a plan. I don't know what it is. Maybe it means I actually need to be a little more faithful with what I've been given, but maybe he's got a plan that I don't know about. But either way, I'm not going to worry because he's the one who makes it rain. It's not my job to do that. I work hard. I do what I can with what he has given me, but it's what he has given me. And if he's given me a lot, I'm going to ask him why. Why do I have so much? And if he's given me a little, I might ask him why. Because I want to know. But I'm going to have peace. I'm not going to worry because it's not up to me to make it happen. Do you see how this shift will change your perspective? It's the difference between this. Do this again. Do this with me. Clench your fist. It's tight. It's mine. I'm entitled to it. i got to make it work. I'm stressed. Open your hands. It's his. I'm a steward. Every dollar that passes through these hands matters to him. And the more I give, the more I get. That's what happens. The more I enjoy giving. It's fun spending other people's money, right? (laughs) On good things, right? And if I have a lot, I'll ask him why. And if I don't, I'll be okay because he's the one who's going to provide. Imagine the freedom that could come into our lives if we began to see all of our dollars like this. And I want to ask you a question. And maybe here's where, where it'll hit home, because it did for me. If you were going to take everything that you have, every dollar that you have, every, every bit of assets that you have, every bit of property, every bit of future investments, every bit of RSPs, and you were going to give it to somebody who was going to steward it for you, okay? So you were going to, you know, kind of step back, and they were going to make the decisions about your bank account, all your credit cards, everything. You had some goals for them. You had plans. You said, look, this is where I want to head in life. These are the things that are important to me. These are the values. Now, tell me the characteristic. <laughs> this is scary, right? Think about this. If you were going to do this, tell me the characteristics of the kind of person you'd want. Just tell me. Just shout it out. Okay, wisdom. 
What else? Pardon? Godlike? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Compassionate? Honest. Okay, good. Hang on, hang on. Loving, honest. Honest, true, loyal. What else? Give me one more. Shrewd, shrewd. Shrewd. And let's say trustworthy here. Okay. Wisdom. Okay, someone who's wise. Someone who's godlike, or we can say godly, or talks to God a lot. Someone who's compassionate. They, they respond to needs. Someone who's loving in that same way. Someone who's trustworthy, honest, true. Someone who's loyal and shrewd. Now, I thought about this this week. I did this list in my own mind. Is that me? Is that me? Is that you? Because that's what this passage is saying. That's what God is saying to us. This is the kind of person that God is looking for, to pour energy, life, strength, and resources into. Someone who's loyal. Someone who's wise. And a wise person, you know what, recognizes they don't know everything. <laughs> right? Wisdom isn't having all the information. It's realizing you don't and going, how do I get more? How do I get wiser? How do I get good advice? How do I get good input? And uh, friends, let's say it right up front. It is totally countercultural to talk to other people about our money. We just don't do that in this culture. That's mine. I'm a steward. And I'm supposed to steward this. I need godly wisdom. I need input from people so that they can tell me things I don't know. I need to be talking to God regularly about my money. Why? Because he's the owner. He has a plan. I need to be faithful and loyal. I need to stick with it. I need to be compassionate and responsive to the people and the things around me. And Jesus actually said in one of his stories that he told that our lives are actually like this. That in a sense, life is like this owner who went away for a little while and entrusted his entire estate with us. The time, talents, energy, and financial resources that you have are a trust that the owner of all things has put in our hands. And there's a period of time that we have now for investment. That's what life is like. And so these are the things that we want to be pursuing when it comes to our money. And what happens to stewards as they begin to live like this, is really actually you begin to be more free. Your hands begin to open up. And you actually have to begin have more fun because you're like, man, if God has given me this, what has he given me it for? What do you want me to do with it, God? And as you follow him, it actually changes your life. As you realize that actually not only is my own money not mine, my life is not mine. That God actually has a plan for my life. And I was thinking about this this week. That the more that we ask God what he wants to do with our lives and what he has given us. See, because what God wants to do in your life and my life really affects how we spend our money, right? We spend our money in accordance with the plans that God has for our lives. And several years ago when we first got married, um, right, actually in our engagement process, Jen was a couple years in as a teacher. 
and she was just finding it stressful. She's like, I don't like classroom management. I don't like, I'm not a public speaker, and yet every day I'm up here doing public speaking. I studied math and physics, but half the time we're just dealing with kids who are not in their seats and all this kind of stuff. And she said, and so we were in premarital counseling with my dad, right? And my dad says to her, well, do you have to work? She kind of looked at me and she's like, I don't know, whatever you think. So in the end, she actually decided to quit. And we prayed through it, and we, we thought, okay, God, what do you want us to do? We were going to say goodbye to $45,000 overnight, and we were about to buy a house. We just knew it was the right thing. We knew God was leading her to that. It was right for us. It was at that moment. We didn't know what was going to happen and what she was going to do next. She ended up doing other stuff. Now she does stuff that's totally different than what she studied for. But at the moment, we just knew this is the right thing for us. God is leading us into this. And then we met with a guy about real estate, and he said, okay, we said, okay, we need to buy a house. What can we afford on my salary? He's like, well, you could barely afford this. If you hadn't quit your other job, like, you could. But we'd already done that. So, like, God. He's like, you just need a little bit more. You're close enough, though. So, like, okay, we pray in faith. Say, God, what do you want us to do? Okay, we think it's the time. Let's go do this. She just said goodbye to that. About a year and a bit later, I changed jobs and made more money. So now we were covered. So now we actually had what we needed to afford the house we had. Three months later, I lost my job. So now we're back to zero. We hadn't moved into the house yet because <laughs> it was taking us fun, right? It took a year and a half. All this is happening. We said goodbye to our job, got more money, lost it again. We're about to move in. We're praying, God, what, you know, how is this going to work? I remember actually driving home that day. Our whole marketing department had gotten fired. I left a job after five years that I loved. Three months later, came in the door. My boss was gone, and I was out the door. Driving home going, you must have a plan. Couple about four months later, after my severance was done, I got another job. It was a little bit less than the one I had before, but so now we're close to making it. Two years in, that CEO gets fired, new CEO gets fired, decides he likes everybody that went to Queens University. Seriously. I was on a business trip with him. He's the kind of guy that makes an impression in five minutes. If he likes you, you're in. If he doesn't, you're out. He happened to like me. Within a year, my salary had doubled. Three years later, I feel God calling. Andre says, hey, I think I planted this church. I think it's time for me to go. I think you're the one to come over. I'm wrestling with God saying, okay, it's going back down again. <laughs> but you know what? The ride that we have been on, like we, Jen and I, so many times look back and said, like, not only has God been faithful to us and never let us fall apart, we would never trade the ups and downs of that life because, you know, you start to realize, I can't make it rain. You do things I could never see. You t it's gone in a moment. It's doubled the next week. I clearly am not in control of this. So what do you want me to do with my life? And friends, I can tell you, and I've said this to you before, I would never change the path that God has led me on, even though at times it, you were like this, and I feel like he forced our fingers open. <clears throat> and we're not all the way there, but I would say we live more like this now than like that. <laughs> I just want you to know, that's what this is about. It's about his call, his plan for your life as you continue to ask him, God, what do you want to do with my life? Because that'll tell me what to do with my money. And I can trust him with that. The, the clock got unplugged, so I'm watching my time. Okay. I was watching something this week that, um, that gave me such a picture of what this looks like, uh, of what it looks like to actually invite God in. Because the difference 
in this issue of ownership versus stewardship, if I can say it like this, owners spend, but stewards invest. Owners spend, it's mine, I'm going to send it. A steward goes, I've got this, I've got to invest it. And so there's two things that as an investor I want you to do. You need to ask your question this, where have I been investing God's money? Now, say it like that, right? Think about talking about your money like God's money, even just that little word in front of money, <laughs> God's apostrophe S. Where have I investing, been investing God's money? Which means you got to know where you're spending your money. So some of you, you have good handle on that. Others of you say, we don't really track it because we kind of make it. You need to know you'll always be surprised by the numbers about where stuff is going. If you haven't actually sat down in a while and said, where are we investing every dollar? Not how much am I giving? Where are we investing every dollar? Where's it going? God's money. Track it. You got to know what it is. And then ask this question, God, how do you want me to invest it? Where do you want me to invest it? What is it that you want to do with these dollars? And some of you say, well, look, <laughs> most of it goes into the house. Okay, big bucket, house. Some of that's mortgage, property taxes, utilities. Can't do much about that. But you could before you bought it, right? Before you bought it, it was a want, not a need. Now you're like, well, I need it. It's a mortgage. Yeah, but you bought it. So it was a want, and now it's a need. Fine, even that. But then we put a whole bunch of other stuff under house, landscaping, furniture, stuff. And we say, oh, okay, that's just part of living. Okay, but it's discretionary. And God, have I asked you lately, what do you want me to do with this? Okay, I'm living. Got a roof over my head. Got running water and electricity. Good. Need that to live. The rest, what does God want me to do? You got to ask. Not groceries, <laughs> but like expenses, vacations, car, clothing, discretionary stuff. Those are the questions. Say, God, how do you want me to invest? And this isn't about saying God's going to ask you to sell it all. It's not what he's doing. You're a steward. A steward spends the money. A steward lives off some of the money that the owner gives them. But it's like, what are your plans for this household and this bank account? Because I want it right. Now back to that thing I was watching. It's actually a, a, a visual articulation of the first time Jesus met Peter. And as I watched that and I watched it again, I thought, this is what it means to actually invite Jesus in to these, because it's kind of like God is knocking on the door of our financial household, and we are resistant to let him in because we're afraid what he's going to do, and we don't want to think about it, we don't want to ask, we don't want to scrutinize, even as I've listed some of those things, you're like, oh, I don't want to think about that. The idea, the temptation can be like, I don't really want to let God into that part of my life. Can't I just keep paying him to stay outside? What happens when God actually comes into the center of our lives, our households, and these things that are at the seat of our heart. I want you to watch. The rest is in here and on Netflix, okay? So you can catch that. <laughs> you know, I just thought when I saw that, I thought, yes, you and I think that this is, has to do with our money, and God wants our lives because he has plans for us bigger than that. In that moment, Peter had the greatest dreams of the financial dreams he could have ever dreamed of, and Jesus said, you think that's, that's something? I have something bigger and better in mind. I can fix all of your financial problems if that's what life was about, but I want you. I'm giving you a chance at a better life. And friends, that's where we have to come with this thing about money, right? Because God doesn't need anything from us, but he wants something for us. What is it that he wants? He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants to change your world and the world through you. 
And that little story that I told you about, this little sliver of our lives over the last 10 years has told me that is true a hundred times more than I could have ever imagined or hoped for. And I know each of you can say that in, in little ways. And so the question is, will you trust him again more? The worship team's gonna come and lead us as we respond. I just wanna pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that you continually come after us, that you seek us out. Peter was not looking for you nor anything that you were gonna bring him, but I bet years later, as he was standing up in front of the first church and thousands of people were getting baptized as he was just telling his Jesus story, he probably thought at that point, man, Am I glad he came after me? Am I glad I pulled him into that boat? Am I glad I said yes? And so, Lord, we just pray that you would be faithful to lead us as we turn our eyes upward and begin to ask you, God, where do you want me to invest this? Actually, how do you want me to invest my life? That you would release us from the grip of fear and pride and entitlement, all of which we don't like in other people, but often can't see in ourselves. That you would release us from the clenched fist life of being an owner and open our hands and open our hearts and open our mind to the freedom of being your stewards, of going where you go, of spending where you say, of saving when you say, and of trusting you in times of drought and rejoicing and being wise in times of plenty. Pray specifically for some who came in here today on the edge of a, a financial crisis or feeling so stressed and clenched fist about this stuff in their lives. I just pray that even now you would be opening their hands because any change in our lives, God, begins with the heart of saying, okay, Jesus, I'll let you in. That would be our joy, desire for our whole church that actually would spread like an infection in this city that is in the grip of materialism and money that you would free this whole city through our church and the churches in this city as we learn to open our hands and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? In your name we pray, amen. I just wanna bless you with maybe one of those words that's on that list for you this morning. If you feel like you need more wisdom and maybe you've been foolish or just you know, darkened in your understanding about how, what to do with your money or how you got where and how we got here, that you would be blessed with the wisdom that comes from Christ. For those of you that feel like you need more faithfulness, like you're on the path, you know it's the right one, but you just gotta stick with it, that you would be blessed with the loyalty of a, of a faithful steward. For those of you that felt like maybe I've been too tight, I've been holding it too close, that you will be blessed with the compassion and love of a faithful steward of God. And ultimately that these words would be on your lips as you write checks, as you do your finances at the end of the month, and maybe for the first time ever track your spending, glory to God. That it would be for his glory. Would you take that this morning? Thanks so much.